Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my, my good buddy, Chris Johnson. Chris, what's going on, man? Not too much, my friend. I am just under the famed roof at Madison Square Garden. Wow, podcasting straight from Madison. MSG, that's pretty good. Yes, sir. We're gone big time. <laughs> uh, so the schedule worked out pretty good for you, huh? With the Penguins, Rangers, and Islanders, Panthers converging to play in the same area at the same time? Yeah, it's awesome. I've never actually had this experience where you can very comfortably go to two series. And, and you know, basically I'm going to do four games in five days. Uh, between the, the two Islander games at home and the two Ranger games. and uh, It's kind of neat dipping in and out uh, of series because traditionally when I've uh, been out covering playoffs, it's only on, on one at a time. And uh, you can kind of, I guess, multitask a little better when you get to do that. Mm, yep. Well, let's start with the Penguins-Rangers because I think it's fair to say objectively that it's the higher profile series and justifiably so i think there's a million different angles to approach it from but i think the the first thing we should start with is just discussing the penguins goaltending because obviously we saw matt murray come in last night for game three and and he performed pretty well i mean it's tough to put too much stock into it because the rangers made life pretty easy for him just getting only 17 shots on net the course of course the entire game but what do you think about how he played and more so what's the rumblings of Marc-Andre Fleury's status moving forward do you think we'll see him at some point in the series or do you think it's kind of a longer term outlook well it's almost going to have to be a game by game situation I think I mean here's here's the issue with Marc-Andre Fleury is that it's a second concussion this year which which you know creates even more problems than a traditional concussion it's the playoffs so no information uh information is scarce enough as it is and then you know just the nature of that injury I mean I don't think the Penguins know for sure that Marc-Andre Fleury knows for certain when he can play, but, but the organization does feel very good about getting Matt Murray in there because even though he's only 21 and, and you know, we don't see a lot of goaltenders over time at this age you know, be someone a team relies upon, uh, the Penguins, I, I think, are quite comfortable with him. And, and uh, you know, he handled the first test pretty well. Uh, as you mentioned, it was a very complete game in front of him, uh, which might not have been an entirely a coincidence. You know, perhaps uh, his teammates uh, were reacting to to him getting in there and, and, you know, knowing that they needed to buckle down. But, uh, you know, I'm here for a period of time if Marc-Andre Fleury's recovery doesn't go as well as everyone hopes. Yeah, well, okay, so 
for the Rangers, I think it's tough because I was going to say they, they've played better than I thought they would in this series, but that Game 3 performance wasn't particularly inspiring. But the Game 2 more so was promising, at least. It looks like they could kind of hang with the, with the Penguins. And <clears throat> I think a big part of that was the fact that they weren't allocating 20 minutes or so to Dan Girardi and were kind of spreading that around elsewhere to more capable puck movers. Do you think that there's actual an actual injury here that's keeping him out or do you think the Rangers coaching staff finally kind of wised up to the idea that it just wasn't really going to work with him basically shadowing Crosby for the entirety of the series? Yeah, it seems more of the latter, I think, than the former. I mean, they've been very unclear about what the injury is and and uh you know i think that they they're being respectful and you know to to be fair he did miss a couple games late in the season uh with with what they kind of described as you know just just the wear and tear of a of a long year and you know it's possible he's not at 100 percent, but certainly he struggled in game one when he played and you know was was held out from there with, with little information so i have to believe it's more of a healthy scratch uh kind of situation where where in, in past years uh, we would have seen Dan Girardi playing through whatever he's dealing with in this situation, but but just uh, you know, right now he's he's not one of the best six options for them. And uh, you're right, the game two performance was was very impressive. It was surprising to me. There's nothing about the way these teams performed in the regular season, performed late in the regular season, uh, that made me think we'd see games like that with the Rangers controlling wide swaths of play and, and able to generate a lot of time uh, in the Penguins zone and. and uh, that that kind of cast a lot of doubt on the series, I thought, because you know at that point Jeff Zadkoff was in for the Penguins, which was a wild card, and if the Rangers can hang with them, you know it, it would be a surprise. But you know, Game Three was a little bit more what I expected coming in, and that it was still a tight game. I mean, Henrik Lundqvist is, is someone that gives the Rangers a real advantage, even if they're they're getting if they're not carrying much of the play. But uh, you know, there's still kind of a, a weird feeling I would say around this series in general because. There's a lot of kind of unknowns hanging in the air, even more than a typical playoff series. Right. Well, I think the Game 2 performance was the perfect storm for uh, kind of speculation and people who like to throw narratives up against the wall and see what sticks, because there was this, all this discussion about after the Penguins looked so good in Game 1, oh, should they even insert Evgeny Malkin back into the lineup if he's ready to go? And I thought that was a particularly kind of laughable discussion to have in the first place i mean if you have one of the what five to ten best players in the world at your disposal you should probably use him and try and figure it out afterwards but of course you know the rangers played a lot better in that game and then all of a sudden people were like oh well see they, the, the penguins shouldn't have messed with it i, I, I don't know i just it, it's weird because i think malkin looked a little bit rusty and maybe a little bit slower than he usually does in game two but i thought the last night he looked pretty good well, and, and I've seen that people almost suggest that it's a bad thing, that it's creating an issue uh, for Mike Sullivan. And, and granted, I, I acknowledge that he's maybe not optimal line mates for him at this point, but still having him on that line, it, it has to catch the Rangers' attention. Mm-hmm. And, and they have to worry about him at five on five. And then, of course, uh, when you do get a power play, I mean, he's one of the main drivers of what they're able to do with the man advantage. And uh, he had a secondary assist, I guess, on, on the Crosby goal uh, last night on the power play. But uh, the, to me, there's no question uh, that, that they're much better with him there. And, and uh, he, he he looked more of himself in game three. And, you know, after a five-week layoff with a shoulder injury, I think it's reasonable to expect we're going to see progression uh, as each of the games go along. And then uh, he has more time to, to get his, his feel back and uh, even just more recovery time as well for his body. So, uh, you know, with, with Malkin, uh, I think it gives the Penguins really three pretty good lines, even the fourth line that, that they have. Uh, we saw Matt Collins score the winning goal. I mean, they're, they're a, 
a fairly complete team up front now. And some people maybe are getting used to the the Brian Russ a little bit more, or Tom Kunackle <laughs> right. or Connor Sheary. You know, they haven't watched these guys play a lot, but uh, they're pretty speedy, effective players in 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 depth roles and and. You know, I, I like the Penguins' attack, and I like it a lot better with 71 on the ice. Yeah. Well, we saw him, we saw Sullivan kind of experiment and put him a little bit with Kessel there in Game 3. Um, do you think we'll see more of that moving forward, or do you think there's still the possibility that we might see Malkin and Crosby play together? I know it's been brought up a little bit, but it seems there's a little bit of a monkey wrench thrown into those fantasy booking plans of ours just because it seems like Malkin himself would prefer playing down the middle. Yeah, I think that that's the, the, the interesting kind of subtext to it is is that my sense and just seeing the, what, the way Mike Sullivan's made adjustments in the games is that he, he doesn't mind kind of uh, really splitting those lines up and going with a couple of variations, uh, which one of the interesting points about after game two is that Alain Vigneault said that that created issues for him, that, uh, you know, how many different sort of combinations and the different ways that they deployed Malkin in that game, but that the player himself doesn't really want to do that. And, and you know, Malkin's have been quite clear that he prefers to be a center and kind of wants a steady line. So the, the coach, I think, if, if he had a perfect world scenario, would, would probably just have all kinds of different variations that go out where Malkin is kind of fixed on a third line, but he sees a lot of shifts uh, on Crosby's wing. But, you know, I'm not sure the player himself is going to buy into that. And, and you know, we'll, we'll have to see how it goes along. But I, I think it makes it more challenging. I know sometimes it's it's easier just to watch the same four lines. You get more continuity and, mm-hmm. and you're, le- you're less at risk, I guess, of losing an, a player or two that, that kind of falls out of the rotation. But, you know, I remember back to the, the, the series the Leafs played with Boston a couple years ago that, that Randy Carlisle, one of the ways he eventually got Phil Kessel away from a hard Zidane Ochera matchup was just by throwing him out on all kinds of different lines. <laughs> right. and, and to me, it's interesting. And this, this stuff matters in the playoffs. I mean, matchups are much more of a focus and, and, and you know, much more part of the adjustments teams make from game to game. And, and you know, that, that, like, this is when coaches make their money, to me, is, is the way they can find... Uh, solutions to the problems that are presented by the other team and the other coach specifically. Right. And I, I think that's why you mentioned guys like Brian Rust and Connor Sheary and Tom Kunako playing with a guy like Malkin doesn't seem like it would be kind of the greatest fit for him. You'd like, you'd expect more talent to be playing on his wings, but at the same time, if you can, you know, roll with Kessel on one line, Crosby on one line, and then Malkin on a third line, it's pretty much impossible for any team to match up with that just because it means that they're going to have a viable scoring threat on the ice essentially every single second of the game. Well, and, and it's all about how you view these things. And one of my frustrations when we get to playoff time always is that you'll pick star player X and, and criticize him for not having a point total that you think is, is where it should be. And and I get it to some degree. These guys are paid a lot of money. They're the backbones of the team they're on. But you know, I, I like to take a wider view of, of how the whole picture is, is coming together. And sometimes, even if Evgeny Malkin maybe doesn't you know contribute as much offensively ultimately in that position, it doesn't mean it's a bad thing for the Pittsburgh Penguins. It means that the team they're playing against might have to use uh, their defensive resources in a different way that, that frees up the game maybe a little bit more for Sidney Crosby or, or, or Phil Kessel on that line that, that he's you know, seems to have found a pretty good home with, with Nick Benino at center. And, and, you know, I I like to view the whole picture. I I don't think it's always important. I mean, it's great when the star guys are carrying a team, but you know, when Matt Cullen scores a game winner for you, there's, there's also a reason why that happens. And and it's that he's getting easier matchups on the ice. And, and, you know, as long as when your, your top line's out, that they're not getting dominated by other teams, top line, sometimes that's a net victory. So, 
Uh, you know, myself, I, I don't have any issue with him playing with those players. I mean, one thing I'll say, I mean, Connor Sherry is a speedy guy. He doesn't take it, you know, he doesn't show any sort of unwillingness to engage in the puck battles along the wall. And, and you know, he can be an effective player, I think, with Evgeny Malkin. It's just not maybe the, the star studded, the star factor we're used to seeing uh, on his wings. Mm. Okay, before we move away from this series, I, I did. I can already forecast uh, Rangers fans being upset that we spent ninety percent of the time talking about the Penguins in this series. So I just wanted to give a quick little shout out to Rick Nash, who obviously scored a really nice shorthanded goal in, in Game Three. And I think uh, it's tough playing in that market and sort of just the the playoff individual playoff performances he's had in the past, just not being able to, as you said, uh, score enough to sort of uh, there was been a divide between how much he's getting paid and how much he's actually been producing in the playoffs on the on the score sheet and <clears throat> I think it's a bit unfair to him because I've long been a proponent of the fact that he's been playing really well even when they made the cup finals that year and he only had three or four goals he was generating shots like crazy and, and they were controlling play whenever he was on the ice so I think it was nice to see him get a goal and it would eventually be nice to see more people kind of come around to the fact that he's such a uniquely gifted player and we should just appreciate him for what he is rather than any other shortcomings he might have. Right. I mean, he was a victim of uh, low shooting percentage yes. in that series, yeah. if I recall. Yeah, 3.6% 3. 3. in that playoff run in 25 games. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that. I mean, I, it, it just it comes up every year with with some player. I'm sure we're going to get it again by the third or fourth round. Uh, you know, there's going to be some story that just gets gets flogged to death with a guy who's just in a bad run of of luck, maybe to, for for just a, a you know a bad way of putting it or an incomplete way of explaining it. But mm. uh, you know, Rick Rick did play well. I, you know, I even thought last night Eric Stahl was okay. He was creating a little bit, and he, he's another candidate here, I'm sure, for uh, you know people because you know they, they had to give up some assets to to bring him in, and and you know he's bashed the point where he's an elite offensive uh, player, and I, I could just see that. You know, maybe the stars aligning where he'll be a scapegoat at some point. Mm. Okay, let's switch gears and, and get to that other series that you're also covering. And I apologize to our listeners if some of this stuff gets outdated because we're admittedly recording this before Game 4 and you'll be listening to it afterwards, most likely. So we're discussing everything through the first three games. And I I think it's definitely fair to say that the Panthers should be kind of scratching their heads right now wondering how they're down in this series considering how much of the play they've actually typically been dominating. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to figure that out myself. I mean, the, the Islanders are so top-loaded lo- on their, their top line uh, that the that, that Panthers seem to have a decided advantage whenever uh, you, you don't have uh, Tavares Ocpozo and, and Franz Nielsen out there. And, and it's showing itself in the games, but uh, it, it's kind of been an interesting series f- uh, for that uh, for that matter. And, you know, I think some of this uh, falls a little bit on goaltending. I, I don't think Roberto Longo has been horrible, but mm-hmm. yeah, he, he hasn't been great. And, and, you know, a couple turnovers too on the defensive side of things is, is where the Islanders have created some goals. And uh, it's, it's probably the least sexy series or certainly among the, the least sexy series, but it's been one of the more intriguing to watch right. for me. And, and uh, you know, I didn't give the, the Islanders too much of a chance in this series at the outset, but, uh, there's a very interesting dynamic tonight, and again, sorry for the outdatedness of it, but but heading into Game Four, I think is a really intriguing game, uh, and it's a it's a very big one, obviously for the Panthers. Well, it's sort of played out the way I thought, right? Because heading into it, we all went, okay, the Panthers have been playing significantly better since they made midseason adjustments, and then especially after the trade deadline. And sure enough, at 5-on-5, five five, I'm looking at it. I mean, they've outscored them 8-2. They've controlled 56% of shot attempts, 58% of scoring chances. Like, all of this stuff should 
point to at least a 2-1 Panthers lead in the series right now but then you look at the fact that Thomas Grice has just flat out outplayed Roberto Luongo and I think it's it's easy to make jokes about Luongo this time of year because of the of the track record he's had but I think a healthy amount of those goals were sort of breakdowns in the defensive zone that weren't necessarily his fault I mean you look at the the OT winner by Hickey and he's just making a straight beeline down towards the net right down the middle of the ice and there's not much Luongo could kind of do on that play exactly what he isn't doing is being superhuman and having one of those crazy games and stealing a game uh maybe when when you know some of those defensive chances are five five alarm scoring chances and and he's stopping them you're right i mean he's been a a bit guilt uh, you know victim i guess of 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 the situations that the the chances have arrived in but you know it's an interesting time and he's he's one of the veteran players on the team uh, I think that the schedule might have played into it a little bit. I mean, not to mm. to give him the excuse, but you know, he he was pretty pretty tired after that game three of the third and four nights, and uh, you know was was very much welcoming a, a two day break in the series from that point along. And and uh, you know, it, Roberto, I think they're going to live and die with him if they didn't uh, go to El Montoya uh, in in the back to backs to start because Montoya, much like Thomas Grice, had a pretty good season for a backup uh, this year, and and. Uh, you know, it's 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 going to be. I I'll be fascinated. I mean, if the Islanders win the series somehow, based on what I thought heading in, based on what I've seen through three games, I'll still be surprised. But uh, John Tavares has been excellent, and you know, sometimes uh, between a good goalie and you get a couple opportunistic goals, uh, you know, the underdog can come through in a series. Well, I think it's cardinal sin in the playoffs to look ahead. You really, I mean, it's it's hockey cliche. You take it one game at a time and all that jazz. And I think for both of these franchises, I mean, what neither of them's made the second round in in twenty years. So just winning one playoff series would be a pretty big deal. But I think in the grand scheme of things, for us, if you if you look at the backdrop of the Eastern Conference, this entire portion of the bracket, and we'll discuss Lightning Red Wings in a second, looks pretty open, right? Like I don't think any four of any of those four teams are necessarily. Uh, moving the needle too far in their direction for us to kind of think with any sort of confidence or certainty that they're going to for sure make the Eastern Conference Finals out of that bracket. So I think there's definitely like an opening here for all four of those teams. There is. You know, I'm getting fairly excited with Tampa Bay, to be mm. honest. I really love how they've responded to the, the injury situations that they found themselves with, with Strawman and Stamkos. You know, we're really seeing that, that Kucherov line uh, be, be pretty darn effective. And, you know, Tyler Johnson even coming back to life after an injury plague season, a year uh, that was, was certainly below what his expectations and our expectations for him would have been. And, you know, I, I think Tampa with the experience they have with the fact that, I, that they're a little bit better defensively with Ben Bishop and goal. I mean, if, if we're handicapping it, I, I would say that, that they're the most likely of that bracket to emerge and, and play in the Eastern conference final. But, it's it's far from a certainty, right? And and uh, I would in some ways I'm intrigued by the possibility of a Lightning Panthers uh, second round series, but uh, we'll see if Florida can can get by the Islanders. I mean, it's 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 sort of shaping up to me in the big picture is the playoffs where uh, you know the, the unexpected is happening and where we're seeing some of the changing of the guard. There's a real opportunity for a lot of franchises to to sort of change the the view of what what they are. What so I guess that kind of answers my next question was going to be: Do you think the way this series has unfolded has been a good sign for the Lightning, or do you think it's just more of an indictment against how pedestrian the Red Wings have been? I guess you're going with the former. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's also the latter too, though, yes. because I mean, I wasn't that bullish on their their chances. I mean, they they took everything they had just to to get into the the last seed and you know keep that playoff streak going, but. Uh, you know, they're at a point where their their key players just aren't as big a difference makers as they, they used to be. I think that uh, 
uh, there's a, a changing of the guard going on. Obviously, they've uh, had to play two goalies in three games, or chosen to, or to play th- three goalie, two goalies in the the first three games is, mm-hmm. is not a good sign for their chances. And uh, you know, but I I'm bullish on the Lightning more just because I, I was curious to see how they would handle uh, you know the, the losses of those guys. I mean, it, it's been a far more sort of physical series I think than I anticipated. Right. More more bad blood, and you know, I I just think that they're playing uh, pretty good. <laughs> style of hockey right now uh you know early in the playoffs even without some of their their key players and obviously the longer they can keep playing and having games on the schedule the more likely it is they're going to get those guys back and and have a chance to, to make a run like they did last spring all right and to kind of close out the eastern conference here i spent a lot of time uh with you yesterday with eric parnas discussing the capitals flyers so i don't want to spend too much time here on it but what have you thought about that series i mean it's it's weird because it got out of hand there in game three and i think uh it's easy to kind of look at that and be like oh classic flyers but i thought through the first two games it was actually very competitive until everything just kind of imploded on them it was it was closer than than it's going to look especially if it ends up being a sweep uh, you know, in, in the early games and, you know, the, losing Sean Couturier was, was a huge loss for, for Philly, just, just even for the, the matchup game, as we are talking about in some of the other series, uh, it really limits, I think, what David Haxtall can do and trying to, to, you know, stop, you know, one of the most dynamic offensive teams in the league. And, uh, you know, it, it's a bit of a shame the way that that all went down, but, but you're right. It wasn't necessarily typical Philly. It just sort of devolved there in, in, in game three and, and, uh, you know, it, it'll be very tough, you know, from, from my eyes to see them and not, you know, to extend it to a game five, but, but we'll see how, we'll see if what, what, what they've got, I guess. But, but to me, uh, I guess we've just learned that the caps don't appear like they're going to get their, uh, their, their, their mental test, their first mental, big mental test, uh, in the first round, but, uh, you know, it's going to come at some point. Yeah. Okay. Let's shift over to the Western conference here. Rapid fire style. Um, sharks Kings. I think, uh, it's fair to say this is probably the the highest quality of hockey that's being played in this first round, or probably, I guess maybe the most compelling series just with all the different storylines and, and different players involved. Yeah, it's been awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying that. And with, with the late starts, I've been able to watch those games, even when I've been working somewhere doing something. So I, I've, I thought that, 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 man, the Sharks have been great. They've had a season that I think some people, including myself, were a bit slow to pick up on, on how well they, they were doing this year. And that, uh, you know, that last year that, that, that wasn't sort of the, the end of the era, whatever their era was uh, with their, their players. And, you know, Joe Thornton at his age, it's hard to, to say much more about what he's been doing. And, and uh, you know, this this looks to me like a six or seven game type of situation now. And, and you know, I'm looking forward to watching them. It's 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 a tough one to handicap. It's, it's been so close. And, and uh, you know, even the last game going to overtime for, for where the Kings got a big victory. And, and, you know, where the Blackhawks to me look a little bit like they're, uh, their 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 moment at least for this year is is not upon them I'm, I'm not ready by any stretch to write off the kings i think they're still a very good team and the sharks still have their hand fully series lead yeah no heading into the series i basically said i my prediction is it's going to go seven uh the big winner in this series is going to be just the, the all the hockey fans out there and i'd flip a coin and, and decide who wins that way because it's it's so tough to tell and i think the thing that's been eye-opening through the first couple of games has been 
just how how much faster the sharks are than them. I, I guess it's, it shouldn't have been a, a big surprise because the Kings, uh, you know, that's not their their, their game. They're they're gonna uh, choke you out in the neutral zone and slow it down and really throw their body around and kind of wear you down over time. But it's just been eye opening, I guess, a little bit to see how good the Sharks have looked over the course of five on five play, and then of course their power play as well. Right, and to go in and win two games at Staples Center. I mean, that yeah. that's. That it's it's not an accomplishment that means anything if they end up fumbling it away from there. But you know that that to me was a real signal that that there's uh, there, there's a there's a strength to their game that, that I think they do have some confidence uh, that they can compete with this team and it's it's shown in 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 the play. I mean they're uh, they were again I felt like they were a bit forgotten at points that you know I, I sort of thought their window had had come and gone by them. But uh, it would be quite something if they can come back and and, and finish this off and and. You know, knock out basically potentially Chicago and LA, the the last five Cup champions would would really uh, create an interesting dynamic around the, the Stanley Cup tournament in general. And and you know, the Sharks deserve credit for for being able to open up the game against the Kings and not get get ground down to a pulp at least through three games. And uh, yeah, we'll see how how it goes because. Uh, the, the Kings are, aren't dead until they're dead. Mm, yeah, that's for sure. Uh, we've, <laughs> we've seen that in the past. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I, I feel bad because for a while there in the, in the second half of the season, I, I was like, yeah, I acknowledge that the Sharks are playing really well and it's been impressive what they've been able to do. But I just thought like this Ducks King second round series was just like you could write it, write it in Sharpie in your bracket. And now it looks like maybe neither of those teams might make it to that second round. Yeah, I mean, who would have thought? I mean, that's what makes the playoffs great, though. I have to say, I mean, whether it's the Islanders or the, or the Predators or these teams that, that were overlooked, I mean, good for them. I mean, it, that's it really comes down to two weeks of, of hockey, and as good a t- as teams as an opponent can be, there are times that, uh, that, that the, the, the team that everyone views as unanimously viewed as weaker can can rise up and, and handle that challenge. And, you know, the, the Predators have, have played well. I, I view, view the Ducks, though, a bit like the Kings that I'm that I'm not willing to to make too many uh, predictions or assumptions about their their status just yet because uh, they still have a, a strong team and you know that the, their benefit I guess is that they can go to a second goal. I mean Frederick Anderson uh, did well after getting in for John Gibson and and uh, you know that that that's another one that could go the distance and we might still end up with that Southern California series or something entirely unexpected. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned earlier the the Lightning Red Wings has been a, a chippy series. I think the Predators Ducks so far has probably been uh, the chippiest of the bunch. It, it's been it's been crazy, especially that game two where uh, the referees were definitely letting them play a little bit and, and they were just taking shots at each other, whether it was during the play or after the whistle. And I don't know, it, it was pretty fun. I think the the breakout stars for this series for me have been uh, the Fox Sports West team, the the Ducks local broadcast team, which has just been losing their minds at some of this officiating going on so far. <laughs> I haven't actually been hearing their their call on it. Oh uh, man, it's amazing! Much, you, have, but... you have to listen to Hayward. He's the best. He just he, it's like he's 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 on the Ducks himself. He's just losing his mind every time they don't get a call. You know, I don't always hate that for local broadcast. Yeah. I mean, just a matter of personal taste. But you know, if if you know, I remember when I was young and I was a fan, you you, you kind of sometimes like that. And and you know, as I get older, even if I didn't become someone who works in the in the industry, I probably prefer the more measured approach. But uh, you know, sometimes it's it's fun to hear that the that the people calling the game care as much as you do when you're a fan. And uh, you're right that that's been a, an emotional series, uh, very physical, uh, big boy hockey as it's called in some circles. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, been been quite entertaining. I mean, the, the West has been for me what we would expect. I mean, the the the, the highest quality teams through the regular season 
for the most part, we're, we're playing out West. And, and, you know, I think that that's shown a lot in, in, in the hockey that's been played in, in those series. Yeah. Well, I mean, just, just to, to wrap it up on that broadcasting team, I, I definitely agree with you. I think it's, I think it's all pretty funny and, and understandable considering how much time they spend around the, all those guys. But it's, it's also funny that in, in the playoffs, they, this sort of national audience get ex- gets exposed to some of these local teams sometimes, and, and it's funny to see how they react. And all this stuff's going all the, going on the entire year. It's not just a, a playoff thing. But let, let's quickly discuss Stars Wild because I feel a little bit bad for the Wild just because that lineup is so decimated. I mean, you look at it; they're they're playing Zach Dalpy all of a sudden, and and David Jones is on their top line, and it's just there's only so much you can do with with the hand they've been given. But at the same time, the the Stars have looked pretty good themselves. They have, and you know it's been such a disappointing year for Minnesota. They, they've, you know, they've appeared to take some steps, you know, winning rounds uh, the last couple of years. But you know, this this was a, a tough season, and you know, they lose their coach. Uh, they, they get to the playoffs finally after you know really scraping in at the end of the regular season, and they wind up there with missing some of their best players. So uh, I, I don't think that we can call it a. It's not a, a failure so much. It's just you know, it's it's kind of bad luck, I think, in, in part, and and. You know, some intriguing questions going forward for that that franchise with a, a bit of an aging core, a ton of guys with no movement clauses. You know, some 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 salary cap ramifications. I mean, I don't know where you go from here if you're Minnesota, but you're right. In, in this series, uh, you know, I just they haven't had a full chance. Uh, it was going to be tough against the Stars, even with their complete lineup. But uh, you take Zach Parise away and. Uh, it's just a, a totally different team uh, when you get into a, a series where you're going back and forth. Well, I mean, it's just been their season's been sort of a masterclass on why you don't want to buy in too much to small samples because uh, they were struggling for the longest time there, and, and a lot of it was the fact they just couldn't buy a buy a goal. And Mike Yo gets fired, and 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 they bring in a new coach. And in their, I think in the first four or five games uh, with the new staff, they scored a bunch of goals, and they were out out west. And obviously, they ran rough shot all over the Canucks and the Flames and the Oilers, and people were like, "Oh, you see, it was Mike Yo's fault. It, it, that that's what was holding them back." And then all of a sudden, they obviously come back down earth and it just makes you realize that it, it just brings up the interesting question of how much of this stuff really is coaching and how much of it is the actual player personnel itself. Yeah, there's a delicate balance there, though, because there, there are times where you see coaches that aren't deploying their lineup in an optimal way. And so, you know, coaches do have an impact, but I, I, there, there are cases that it's probably overstated. And, you know, Mike Yo, I don't know too many people in hockey that that don't believe he's going to be hired this summer somewhere could even be in Ottawa with the opening that they have. But, but, you know, he's not a bad coach. He didn't mess up. He just got to a point where I guess he, that they, they weren't able to squeeze any more out and they felt like they had to make a change. And, and you're probably right. I, I, you know, it's, it's tough. I think coaches get, get far too much blame at times. And maybe in some cases, you need cases too much credit for a team success because, you know, really if, if you don't have the players, uh, to match up, it's it's hard to to expect to win four out of seven games against the same team. Yeah. Almost exclusively, this the, the the right team wins a series. You know, when when you get to the end and you evaluate it and you look back at at what unfolded in the games, I mean, it's usually the best team that wins. That's why the playoff format ex- exists as it does. Well, yeah, and I think it's uh, you know, I personally myself made a lot of of the the fact that the Capitals drew a pretty tough draw in the first round with the Flyers, and maybe that doesn't look like the smartest opinion, kind of looking back at it now <laughs> in hindsight. But I was like, it, it, it seemed unfair to me that you know they really should have been playing the Red Wings, for example, because they should have been rewarded for having the best regular season and they should play the worst team in their conference and 
Uh, you know, to be fair and to be transparent, in the Western Conference, it really has worked out that way, where the the Stars won the Western Conference and they got to play the objectively worst team in their conference, and it looks like it'll work out pretty well for them. And I think it's it's really good timing because if they can get through this in in five games, let's say, like, and allow Tyler Sagan to get fully healthy before the second round, and they watch the Blues and the Blackhawks beat each up uh, beat each other up a little bit here, that's kind of a win win for them. Yeah, you know, the reality with the, the, the playoff formatting, I feel, is that unless the league was ever willing to go to a fully balanced schedule and then have a 1 through 16, that, that we're going to see these occasional uh, mismatches built in. I, I just don't see any other way around it. And I realize there's all kind of scheduling and, and travel and logistical reasons why we're not likely ever to see that, that sort of schedule. But uh, it was a weird year seeing, uh, you know, a couple hundred point teams playing each other and things like that. I mean, uh, personally, I thought at the very least the one to eight seedings seemed to produce, uh, you know, better, you know, better matchups, mm-hmm. more fair matchups, maybe uh, best way to put it. But um, you know, we'll, we'll see how long they stick with this format because I, I I don't know off the top of my head how long they've agreed to it, but I know it was not a long term thing. I think that there's an agreement between the NHL and the NHLPA to review it after a couple seasons, and uh, you know, we might see yet another change depending on how the league views, you know, what, what's happened here. Well, the incredibly weird thing to me is, let's say we get a second-round matchup of, of Tampa Bay against the Islanders. Tampa Bay is going to have home ice advantage because they finish second in their division, whereas the Islanders finished as a wildcard team. But the, the Islanders actually had more points in the regular season than them, so that just seems seems odd to me. It is. And in, in this year you had where Boston had more points yes. than Minnesota and missed the playoffs yeah. as well. And and. You know these things are going to happen. I think when you make it as as kind of specialized as it is, uh, it's 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 a weird format. I, I still haven't put my mind around it. I mean, maybe we're seeing some benefits of it where you, you get like a Rangers Penguins three years in a row. But um, you know, I I don't know. I don't know if the rivalry thing is real. I mean, to me, the playoffs themselves are a rivalry in general, and and you know you, you see emotional games no matter who plays. And, and, you know, as I said earlier, maybe Tampa Detroit is a result that they played last year. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's, it's tough for me to say, I mean, I guess maybe we have to see it over five or six years and see what we feel about it. But, you know, my, my sense, and even talking to some players is that uh, they prefer to see it change back to the way it was done previously. Yeah. Well, I mean, my sort of, if I was running the NHL fantasy booking scheme, and obviously this will never happen because it just goes against so many things the NHL likes to believe in, but if you just let the best teams pick who they played, like that would make for just the, the most riveting entertainment possible. Wow. Yeah. I hadn't even thought of that. Just think about that. You could sell it as like a TV special and the guys have to go up to a podium and and pick who they want to play. And then all of a sudden, you know, there's all this, uh, like the the Panthers owner got in trouble for saying that he'd prefer playing the Islanders, right? In the first round and everyone was freaking out about it. And imagine if just that happened every year with every series where if you're the, if you're the worst team, you're essentially kind of using it as fuel and feeling slighted being like, Oh yeah, they wanted to play us. Well, we'll show them why they were wrong to, you know, be careful what you wish for. So that would be amazing. But uh, of course, you know, uh, the NHL is all about being classy. Uh, You can hashtag that. So it's, it's, it'll never happen, but it's just sort of my pipe dream, I guess. Well, it's funny too, with that Panthers owner thing is he said it in the most respectful way possible. Like he didn't, he didn't come out and say, "Oh, we're definitely beat the Islanders," or right. something. You know, it was anyway. You're right. Well, the question was sometimes... posed to him: Who would you rather play, one or the other? And he obviously picked the, the Islanders, and I definitely agree with him. I think it was like, what was it, the Islanders or the Penguins or something? Like, of course, you'd rather play the Islanders. 
Exactly. And I, I don't know. Sometimes we take, we take everything so seriously. I just feel like good on him for being honest. And he, he said what everyone else would say if they were the owner of the Panthers. So it wasn't exactly uh, front page news, but I guess honesty sometimes gets people worked up. Yep. Okay. Let's, uh, let's finish this off with blues Blackhawks. And before we get into the actual play, uh, we need to discuss Andrew Shaw's comments at the end of game, game, game four, just because they were so inexcusable and reprehensible. And I don't know, just, uh, well, I guess we'll see how the NHL acts and I'm not sure what the right answer is here, but it's pretty clear that they need to do something. They do, and especially because they've been a league to their credit that's been very supportive of the gay and lesbian uh, community. Mm -hmm. They've been uh, doing initiatives in large part due to Brian Burke and his son Patrick, who who works for the the league office. But they've they've been progressive and gotten a number of teams on board, a number of players uh, have taped messages for You Can Play and and supported that initiative. And we saw the Blackhawks even as far back as 2010, I believe it was Brent Sopo who took the Stanley Cup to the, the Gay Pride Parade in Chicago. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I think because this is an issue and that is obviously gaining more attention in, in pro sports widely, uh, with the NBA having uh, you know had this this come up this season, uh, but also because the league is has been so supportive of that community that it's important uh, they do the right thing. Uh, I, I do think that you know, I've seen some hot takes this morning that they should have you know basically suspended him on the spot type mm-hmm. of deal and and. You know, really, I think what's important is that they that they have the audio that they can prove what what everyone thinks was said, and it does yes. clearly look that way on the video. And and I remember Adam Silver saying with the Rajon Rondo situation that that he had that it took a couple of days to get it verified with a voice specialist so that they could prove it if there's ever a challenge. And you know, I think that maybe taking their time in this case isn't the worst thing, but you know, they they do have to react, and and you know, I think they have to have, make a statement that this is unacceptable in the game because we all know that it is. Yes. And I know in, in the past in sports, it's been a bit more of something that, that was just what was done. But I, I don't think there's too many people under a certain age now that believes that there's any place for that uh, in, the, in the sporting arena. Yeah. Uh, the only like arguments defending Shaw I've seen so far are like, oh, people say stuff worse all the time. And it, that's just not an excuse. And either is the heat of the moment argument where – Obviously, he was very visibly frustrated and upset that the, the Blackhawks were both losing and that he got penalized for a pretty soft call, but that doesn't make it right to, to revert to that sort of garbage. So I, I definitely think the NHL needs to do something here. Let's right, say, and I don't want to yeah. villainize him too much, I have to right. be honest, because I think it, it has to be more about teaching than punishing. Yes. And, 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 you know, like I, I can't say in my life I've always said the right things in situations, but, you know, I wanted to... to teaching moment than anything and that that probably means giving him some punishment but it's not to say that he's the worst guy in the world or that other people haven't said worse i think it's more that when we see it we have to correct it and remind people that it's not acceptable so you know i I don't want to be too holier than thou on it either because uh, i do think it is a not maybe common anymore it's certainly not unique and he's not the only one to have said it it's just that we all know about it and as a result of that the nhl i think needs to make some kind of statement on it yeah, and I think that I saw someone make this good point online where, you know, if you give him a, a, a really significant punishment, whatever that may be, you don't really like it's short sighted. You're missing the forest for the trees if you're getting these players to, you know, try and watch what they say just because they're scared of the ramifications of it. You more so want to educate and, and make sure that they understand why you shouldn't do this sort of stuff, why it's hurtful and harmful and you need to act more civilized and, and just better. Right. Well, I mean, in some cases it's just literally 
thinking about it for five seconds. Yeah. Some of this is just, you know, behavior that, you know, maybe from the environment you're in, uh, you've just heard people say that and you end up just saying it. I mean, I, I just think there's just an opportunity for everyone to put a little thought on it, to think twice about what they say and, and to make sure it doesn't happen. Uh, you know, we're not far off a day where we're never talking about this. I don't believe I think mm. that, that society in general has come a long way as has sport. And, you know, this is just another chance to, to remind ourselves of, of where we're at and where we need to go as, as a community and a, a sporting league. All right, a few a few final things on this series on the on ice perspective because I can I can hear uh, there's shots being taken in the background there, so no one can say that we we this <laughs> this podcast hasn't been playing the, the game. Yes, exactly. The Rangers are on the ice. Um, Vladimir Tarasenko. I, I think that there's definitely a significant portion of of the hockey community that's been paying attention to this guy for the past few years and has realized what a prolific all-world talent he is but it's kind of cool to see him have this breakthrough performance against the defending champions on a national stage where i think a lot of people are coming around to the idea now that he's you know one of the best players in the world and definitely one of the best most lethal goal scorers in the world Absolutely. And he, and he, for a couple of years running, has been one of my favorite guys to watch in the league. I mean, he's just, uh, he has such a powerful ability to cut through traffic and, and still has the skill to handle the puck at high rate of speed. And obviously his shot is, 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 our, is his biggest attribute and his ability to, to score as many goals as he does. And, you know, Vladimir actually had some struggles this year. He went, went through a period uh, but you know, midway to two thirds through the year where he wasn't producing at the level he was happy with, but uh, you know, it wouldn't surprise me at some point for to see him win a Rocket Richard. Uh, it's always tough when he's going against Alex Ovechkin and, and his superhuman ability to score. But but you know, he he is one of the absolute elite snipers. He's what the Blues needed. I mean, for for years when they had a great team, they didn't have kind of a game breaker. And and you know, he's he's been a game breaker in these playoffs and has really performed well in his in his entirety of his postseason career. It's uh, too bad he was healthy scratch, what, a couple years ago? Yeah, no, I was looking back at that three years ago where they, uh, mo- that notable series where they scored like 10 goals in six games against the Kings. Uh, he was healthy scratch for five of those games, and it seems remarkable that that was only three years ago. Right, yeah, now there's, there's no one saying the monster contract he signed was a bad idea. Yeah. There's no one that doesn't realize he's, a, he's an elite player in the league. I mean, uh, he's, he's, he's come a long way. He's, uh, he's a fun guy to watch. So the Blues are one game away here. Do you think that they can actually kind of seal the deal and slay the Dragon and finally get over this hump? Or do you think we're going to see the Blackhawks give one final push here? Well, it's not going to be they're going to get it done. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't even think it'll count as a surprise. I mean, there's always an element of surprise because the Blackhawks have been the dominant team of this era. But uh, I saw a lot of people picking the Blues, and I was one of them, and, and you know, the, the Blackhawks didn't play particularly well down the stretch in the regular season. Uh, they, they've been, you know, not scoring goals at the rate that they had in the past. There's just, there's been, there's was hints that this was coming. And, and you know, St. Louis on the other side, to give them credit, has been a strong team uh, that, that haven't been able to get it done. But I think it is finally the year. And, and my goodness, if, as I mentioned earlier, if we have the Blackhawks and Kings out in the first round, which is po- possible, the opportunity now for teams like a St. Louis, like a San Jose, uh, like an Anaheim, uh, to sort of remake their image as, as teams that couldn't get it done. I mean, this is this is going to be the spring, I, I think, that we're going to see a new team win and, and sort of change uh, maybe the, the view of, of what that organization and that franchise is. Yeah, well, and I, I don't mean to get ahead of ourselves here, but I think... It's a, if the Blackhawks lose here in the first round, this is a pretty big summer for them, right? Because they gave up quite a few assets to get 
rentals like Ladd and Fleischman and and uh, and Dale Weiss and of course with Panarin reaching all of his bonuses, they're probably gonna have to get rid of some guys just because of that kind of salary cap bump that that he's gonna have. So I don't know. And, and then you look at a guy like Hosa who still has a lot of years left on his deal at a lot of money, but he's nowhere near the player he once was. And depth is all of a sudden a legitimate concern for this team. And I'm kind of very curious to see how they approach it this summer. Right. And, and I'm curious in the big picture, it's, it's not this summer yet, obviously, but when do they sort of acknowledge that, that they need a rebuild and, and how does that look? Because, you know, I, I don't fault. I mean, look, every GM is going to make some mistakes. I don't fault Stan Bowman for going all in. I mean, when you have three Stanley cups, uh, the way that that team does, you're, you're like, you, you'll do anything to get the fourth. I mean, you're in very, very special territory historically in the league. And, and, you know, I, I understand what he had to do and why he, the team is built the way it is, but, you know, I would have to think barring something unexpected that they will have a precipitous fall at some point, just because of what you mentioned. They have so much money tied up in a core that at some point isn't going to be able to get the job done for them the way they have for so long. And, and, uh, you're right. There's already more challenges this summer. It's another summer where we're contemplating them removing pieces rather than really adding. Uh, I mean, they might add some young players on entry-level deals and hope to, to get something out of them as a way to, to handle their cap issues. But uh, it seems like every summer there is intriguing because of all the, the maneuvering that has to go on. And this is certainly going to be one, whether they come back and beat the Blues or whether their season's done in a matter of days. Mm, yeah, for sure. All right, Chris, I'll let you go to enjoy that Rangers practice and uh, – and report on it. So I, uh, I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> uh, enjoy the. I guess you're going to Panthers Islanders tonight. So enjoy that, and uh, we'll make sure to get you back on later in these playoffs. Okay. Sounds great. On the train to Brooklyn tonight. Cool, it's gonna man. be fun. Talk soon. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitri Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO cast.